everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Thrive Theology Podcast. We are starting off today with the first episode in a two-parter on social justice, biblical justice, and what that all means for current issues today. This one was an interesting one for Emily and I to research, but we're excited to share some of that with you and hopefully bring some clarity to a rather controversial topic. Um, So in doing so, we're actually unintentionally continuing with our image of God theme with this two-parter, specifically on the justice part. We're going to discuss how people being made in the image of God is the basis for justice, how it's applied in the Old Testament, how Jesus, Jesus clarifies it in the New Testament, and how to apply those concepts to our current modern issues. Now, Emily, when I say justice, um, it brings to mind a few things for me. They'd be like fairness, the righting of wrongs, consequences, mercy, rights, going to court to get justice, that kind of thing. Um, And that's not necessarily what the Old Testament means when it uses the word justice. No. So let's take a close look at what justice looks like in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the concept of justice is actually closely aligned with the concepts of righteousness and mercy, which is not something that we in our modern context usually think about. So let's talk about the concept of righteousness first. The Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, which means to be living in right relationship with God and others. The Bible Project defines um, the term righteousness as an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God with the God-given dignity that they deserve. Job chapter 29 verses 12 to 17 gives us a really solid biblical definition of righteousness or tzedakah. It says, because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. So why do we need God's ideas of right living with others? Mostly because when we humans define right and wrong, we end up making decisions based on what will benefit us and our tribe first. Others are negatively impacted by our selfish decisions and actions. God has told us how to live according to his definitions of right and wrong, and he laid out those guidelines in the Old Testament with his chosen people. Now, while the law in the Old Testament has many different scenarios and instructions associated with them, most of these laws are written more like case studies on how to apply the concepts of justice, mercy, and righteousness within the community of God's chosen people. We're shown how those concepts are played out within the community community in order to understand how to do the same in our own modern context. So in the Bible, we actually end up with a couple of different types of justice. The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat, and the, the this refers to the actions that you do to create and uphold the standard of tzedakah, or righteousness. We all probably are familiar with the Micah 6, 8 passage, which says, Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is that the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
So to act justly can be worded differently to say to do justice. Some translations actually phrase it this way, um, which actually uses the word as a verb. So this implies that justice is something that informs your actions or it's actually something that you do. And this is a simple summation of how humans are to interact with each other. It's part of being a true human according to God. The first type of justice that the Bible talks about is retributive justice. And this is the type of justice that we usually think of in 21st century North American context. Retribution refers to the repaying of a debt or receiving the consequences of an action, usually negative consequences for a wrongful action. And like I said, this is typically what we think of when we hear justice because this is how our court system works. Like, So for example, if Bethany steals my chickens... Bethany has to repay the cost of the chickens and maybe go to jail. And the scripture actually talks about this type of justice as well, um, where it says, you know, like if you steal somebody's um, ox, yeah, ox, and you uh, kill them, you have to pay back two ox or whatever the number is. Um, Or if you uh, just take it, you have to return it back all in one piece kind of thing. Um, So there's like different case law that God gives to Moses for how to handle retributive justice situations. Now, the second definition of justice is restorative justice. More often in the Bible, the Bible uses mishpat to refer to restorative justice. Um, A definition is proactively advocating for the vulnerable. The Bible Project defines it as taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures and preventing injustice. It's basically treating people with dignity and making sure they get the dignity that they deserve. Tim Mackey says that is making sure everybody in my community is treated fairly and given the opportunity to flourish. Proverbs chapter 31 verses 8 through 9 say this. Open your mouth for the people who cannot speak, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. From this, we who have a voice and influence, we have a responsibility to speak for those who don't have a voice. The next passage we have is Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says, Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue the victim of robbery from the hand of his oppressor. Don't exploit or brutalize the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Don't shed innocent blood in this place. The context of this verse is that God is reminding the leaders of Judah, so this would refer to the kings, the officials um, in the king's court, leaders, priests in the temple, and all that, of their responsibilities to the vulnerable people in the land. The consequences of not obeying God in this area and not doing justice are the destruction of the line and the throne. So God is taking this very, very seriously. Our next passage is Psalm 146, verses 6 to 9. He, the Lord, remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. This whole Psalm, Psalm 146, is all about God being trustworthy and faithful and that 
and how this is demonstrated through his care for the exploited, unfortunate, vulnerable, and lowly. And as a side note, this description sounds a lot like Jesus and his ministry on earth. And this list goes through different expressions of mishpat or justice and how this justice plays out in that society. several examples of justice in the Old Testament. Um, The first is the Levites. So if you remember, the Levites were the tribe that were in charge of taking care of the temple and sacrifices, the tabernacle at the beginning. They were caretakers. They had no land and their work was at the temple. So the other 11 tribes gave one-tenth or a tithe of their income to support the Levites in the temple work. The way that Israel was set up as a nation, it was good and right to have one group being supported by the rest as they took care of the temple. The Levites were given, then given their mishpat, or their, their right, um, of the one-tenth so that they could also pay for food, etc. So this would be, this tithe given to them would be considered mishpat, or right, or justice. In the Old Testament, we're also given really clear guidelines on who the vulnerable are. So Zechariah chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 say this, The Lord of hosts says this, Make fair decisions. Show faithful love and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. Um, This is called the quartet of the vulnerable. These people were the most vulnerable to oppression and injustice in the Old Testament. And actually, they are even now still. They're the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. They are, and the reason why these are the most vulnerable in the Old Testament context is that they were not connected to family or the land. A widow did not have a husband to support and protect her. This made her vulnerable to others taking her land, maybe a brother-in-law, taking her possessions, having influence over her where she doesn't have a voice. Um, And this is all because authority, property, and family lines followed the men. An orphan would not have parents to support um, him or her, to care for them, guide them, or protect them. And they also would not have a connection to the land as their inheritance because that would very quickly be taken away. The immigrant obviously doesn't have ties to the land and possibly not even the community. This is difficult when the whole of society revolves around community and family ties. And the poor. This is kind of self-explanatory, but they wouldn't be be able to purchase land, and you do need some capital or some money to be able to start to use your land to make money. So they would be very vulnerable to then being exploited further because of their status living in poverty. The way that God outlines these four groups of people is that a just society takes care of these groups of people. They have a right, or mishpat, to not be oppressed. Another example is the gleaning laws. When the Israelites harvested their crops, they were to leave the corners and the leftovers for the vulnerable to glean as their mishpat, or their right. Um, we see this in the story of Ruth, where she's gone to sent, she's sent by her mother-in-law to go and glean from the different fields, and she ends up in Boaz's field. And he upholds her right to be able to glean behind his workers. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, we see, see this. When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This is saying that part of your harvest does not belong to you. It actually belongs to the vulnerable in your community. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 24 through 25 say this. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat as many grapes as you want until you are full, but you must not put any in your container. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck heads of grain with your hand, but you must not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. So this is detailing that while the vulnerable do have a right to part of your harvest, they don't have the right to take more than is their due. So they can't go and harvest your field for themselves. They have to wait till you're done, and then the leftovers is what belongs to them. Yeah, and you're also not allowed to steal, right? Like, you can't just bring your baskets in, harvest from their field, and take that home. Like, that's not okay. Craig Blomberg says that the Old Testament laws of Jubilee, Sabbath law, and gleaning do not fit into any other economic model. They don't fit socialism, they don't fit capitalism, or anything else, really. In fact, he says that the Bible, quote, suggests a sharp critique of, one, statism that disregards the precious treasure of personal rootage, and two, the untrammeled individualism which secures individuals at the expense of community. Now, in case you don't know what untrammeled means, (laughs) what he's basically saying is, in other words, God set up the nation of his chosen people to take care of the vulnerable in a way that doesn't align with capitalism, socialism, or anything else. This will be important later when we look at the current challenges of social justice, which will be coming up in the future. Um, He's basically saying that the Bible suggests a sharp critique of socialism, which disregards people's individual rights to earn their own money and provide for themselves. But at the same time, it also criticizes the more capitalist view that says you have a right to earn whatever you want and you have no responsibilities beyond your own income. He's saying the Bible objects to both of those. Um, We just want to make a quick note about why the solution to the problem of social justice is not to rely on a human definition of justice or just flip the system so that the poor people have all the power. We have an example of this in scripture where God rescued the oppressed Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. And in doing so, he condemned the injustice of Pharaoh. This is something that we're all familiar with. Um, But sadly, the stories of the Bible and also history, world history in general, show that left to our own devices, humans who have been freed from oppression will turn around and oppress others. Um, Israel was rescued out of slavery. And within a few hundred years, they are enslaving other people and practicing the same injustices that they suffered under Pharaoh. Up to and including child sacrifice. Yeah, like This is the exact thing that God had condemned other nations for, and they're sitting there doing the same thing. And a, a lot of times God would say, don't do this because you were slaves in Egypt and I rescued you. Like he's reminding them, you, you were in that place. Don't put somebody else in that place. But so mm-hmm. often they had just ignored that. Yeah, so this just shows us that even when a group has suffered injustice, it doesn't mean that they will recognize that and not themselves behave unjustly to others. In fact, abuse and injustice are cyclical. 
As the book of Judges details for us, when everyone does what they think is right or what is right in their own eyes, which is a theme of the book of Judges, chaos and injustice reign. We need God's definition of right and wrong to truly live justly towards others. turn our attention to the New Testament. So just as God told people in the Old Testament how to be, quote, be a good human um, and to honor God and others, Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God legislates or implements care of the vulnerable through Israel's laws. In other words, external actions. But in the New Testament, Jesus teaches that how we care for the poor has just as much to do with our hearts in inner life as our actions. He teaches compassion, mercy, and empathy, etc., which are not simply actions or checking a box, but they're actually an inward posture towards the vulnerable, which, if you're familiar with doing comparisons between the Old and New Testament, Jesus does this a lot. The Old Testament was about actions. The New Testament is about your heart and your heart behind your actions. So it's neat to see Jesus having this play out specifically in some of the parables that we're going to share. The first example, which kind of might be the only one we really need, but we're going to go on further, is the greatest commandment from Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, which say, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on those two commands. So just a quick side note, Jesus was asked, what is the one greatest? And he gave two. (laughs) Um, Loving your neighbor as yourself certainly covers a lot of situations. And, And we know who our neighbor is. It's the person who's right in front of us, whoever God has placed in our lives and laid on our hearts. It's not, we can just say, oh, that person's not our neighbor. Mm, no, that person's your neighbor um, in, in humanity. That's not to say that we're responsible for every single human that ever walks the earth, um, but God does put specific people in our path for us to care for. The next example we have comes from a parable that Jesus told. Jesus tells a parable of a rich man who stores up his wealth and God rebukes what he does with it. So I'm going to read that parable to you. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it bears um, thinking about and reading. Luke 12 verses 13 to 21 says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So this is just an interesting passage. And Jesus um, also makes another note a little bit further in Luke 12, verses 32 to 33 say this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. So here, Jesus is saying that being rich toward God means giving to the poor. And note that he doesn't say all your possessions. Um, God did not condemn the rich man for having possessions. He condemned the use of that possession. The man used his possessions to allow himself to relax, to eat, drink, and be merry. He kept it all for his own comfort. That's what God condemned. He said, you should have done better things with what I have blessed you with. That wealth came from God. It was a blessing from God. And it was good that the man was providing for himself. But the fact that he didn't take into account others' needs is what God condemned. In Luke chapter 11, verses 39 through 41, we hear this. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. Now, this is a passage about the Pharisees saying, Jesus, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. We got you. And Jesus is like, okay, you wash your hands all the time, but your hearts are full of evil, which is worse. Um, and he's, Jesus spoke strongly to these Pharisees about their outward shows of, quote, piety, but Jesus tells them that their actions toward the poor will actually show what's inside. Plus, the Lord looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. So he's saying what your inside emotions, how you actually feel, how you actually care for other people, how you include your emotions and your heart and your compassion for other people, what is within will come out in your actions. The way that you show the Lord that you love him. And one of those ways is by caring for the vulnerable, just as he does. If you remember from earlier passages in the Old Testament, when God gives a definition of his personality and of his character, he talks about how he cares for the vulnerable. So when we do the same, we are imaging our heavenly father. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses 13 through 15 say this. It is not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so their abundance may also become available for our need, so there may be equality. As it is written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. So this is talking about how we share wealth and resources, not so that we become poor too, which would be counterproductive because then you would be one of the poor and vulnerable people that need to be taken care of. It's more so that everyone has enough and we actually have a responsibility to take care of the people who don't have enough. That is where we're going to end our episode for today. We went over the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it defines justice as, as a kind of a summation here. Justice is not simply what we do in a court system. It's not just condemning or punishing the guilty. It's also about making sure that people are treated with dignity and as being made in the image of God. It's giving people their rights to be treated fairly and actually advocating for those people who are vulnerable. In the Old Testament, it was the quartet of the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. Um, but we certainly have that those vulnerable people in our own community and in our own context now. 
Next episode, we're going to talk about current modern issues of justice. We're going to talk about social justice and what a controversy that is, especially in the evangelical world, and hopefully give you some perspectives on how we can keep from walking too far to one side or too far to the other when we focus on biblical justice and what God actually does call us to do for those who are in need. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning into the Thrive Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating or review. For show notes, resources, blog posts, and a complete archive of episodes, visit us at thrivetheology.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Thrive Theology. We'll chat with you next time.